0: you're listening to errol parker and clancy overall editors of the batuta advocate on desert rock fm hello
1: listeners and thank you for tuning in again and for joining myself errol parker and my colleague
0: clancy Overell. yes hello listeners inside the diamond tina shire or otherwise You're listening to Desert Rock FM. For the podcasters across the country and world, thanks for tuning in. This is the editors of the Batuta Advocate for another week on the Batuta Advocate News Hour.
1: Yes, a very special mention to those listeners in Uganda last week that our producer
0: Murray managed a spot on our analytics. Yes, hello, if you were listening in Kampala, which funnily enough is relatively nearby to where today's guest
1: hails from. Uh, That's right, Clancy. Close enough if you've got your level of education. He's a notable Australian, plays rugby union, and he also hails from the African continent. He's a Zimbabwean-born boy by the name of David Pocock. And he's not your average sort of rugby player, is he, Errol? No, Clancy. There's a little bit more to him than just scrums, rucks,
0: RM Williams, boots, puffer vests, and private schools. Yes, there certainly is. I've heard the name David Wocock bandied around a few times stemming from his social and political activism uh many people have referred to him as woke i mean well he
1: has been arrested before for what he believes in as a lot of footy players are these days but i think that david gets arrested for for much nicer things not uh, not assaults or drug possessions or dr- drink driving he gets arrested for for things that he believes in like uh environmentalism uh, so, social issues, I I should say, and um, he I think he got caught that time. Uh, he chained himself to a uh, a digger uh, p- protesting some coal mine down south.
0: Yes, he's done a few little uh, things like that. Uh, have angered news corp commentators in the country. Uh, you know, he's um, a little bit naughty, a little bit co-curricular uh, outside of the footy field, and uh, was a very vocal supporter of same sex marriage. Yeah, our
1: sports editor Imran Gashgori, he wrote a fantastic. Uh, think piece
0: about his stance on that issue, didn't he, Clancy? Yes, yes. That was that was a, um, a, a quite a popular story. went viral briefly there. Uh, it was just after the plebiscite was passed, and, of course, David Pocock and his uh, partner Emma had vowed to not get married until everyone could get married. Uh, of course, we wrote the article shortly after David Pocock begrudgingly begins Googling Canberra wedding venues following the uh, changing
1: of the laws. He and his partner Emma famously pledged in 2011 that they wouldn't be tying the knot until their gay friends were allowed to do the same. And after the vote passed, Pocock, like a fair few other straight men who also made that pledge, were all out of excuses uh, to
0: take a knee. Mind you, his actual knees may have also gotten in the way, judging by the amount of operations he's had on his body over the years. He really puts himself to the test, physically, uh, on the field. And uh, off the field, apparently.
1: Yeah, his uh, ACLs have seen more daylight than most earthworms, Clancy. Anyway, the Brumbies captain, he said it was a very tricky task, Googling non-coal seam gas-affiliated pro-same-sex marriage Zimbabwean wedding caterers in the ACT area. And he apparently still hasn't locked one in. But we can ask him that in the flesh now. He's just walked in. David, take a seat.
0: Well, here we are with uh, an institution of Australian sport, a... um well-known Australian personality, I guess you could say, commentator at times. He's actually just walked in with some gifts for us. David Pocock, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Well, mate,
1: what brings you to town? Well, what brings you up here into the middle of the Simpson Desert?
2: Yeah, it was a fair drive uh, to get out here. I was uh, I was keen to bring you boys some, some biltong. It kept me uh,
0: kept me going on the trip, the barbo biltong. I, um, I made the mistake of referring to it as jerky before, but... It's not even dehydrated in the same way that jerky would be, is it? It's air-dried. Air- Air- air-dried it? beef. Air-dried beef. And what? Uh, beef, all right. So it's not any exotic uh, uh, African land animal. Right? <laughs> it's no. just a domestic Ooh, livestock. Well, We'll be getting into that a bit later. Okay. Tell us a little bit about that um, that trip. You, are you back and forth now? Are you, are you have, have you gone back uh, to Zimbabwe, South Africa, that part of Southern Africa since, since your sabbatical over there? I went back for three days during Super Rugby just to see my,
2: my grandfather was uh, was pretty ill. So just a quick, quick visit. Right.
0: Spent a few days with him, then came back. Can you tell us a little, like, ha- since you migrated to Australia, how many times would have you visited your family and stuff over there?
2: After we moved, I didn't go back for quite a few years. And then once I started playing professional rugby and could yeah. afford to, yeah, uh, I tried to get back once a year. Okay yeah so i've still got family and 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 friends back there um and was involved in some community development stuff so yeah love love getting back there for a couple of weeks but i'd never actually been back for more than you know i think two or three weeks so last year having six months there was uh very interesting it was kind of right at the end of the the mugabe Mm -hmm. um era in zimbabwe so things were pretty pretty dire um and a bit of a it was a bit of a reality check definitely got back to Australia with a deeper sense of uh, appreciation and gratitude
1: for, for you know, what, what we have here and, and the opportunities. I can hear it a bit now. Uh, I often find that when I go back to my native Hong Kong, <laughs> I, uh, I tend to slide back into more of that international accent. Uh, when you get back uh, to Zimbabwe, do you find yourself starting to starting to slip back into your old... Into your old tongue that you get when you go going up there.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think I probably do. Yeah, yeah, you go know, back sure. Sounding
1: a bit like Percy Montgomery, yeah? <laughs> yeah. You
0: see, you see, with the Kiwis, they they do yeah. it more than anyone, don't they? When they when they uh, when they go back home. Yeah, we
1: often in the conversations we've had with Quaid, both in Brisbane and in Auckland.
0: You know, there is a big difference there. I've, mm. I've noticed. Even even seeing Quaid down at Ballymore compared to seeing Quaid down at South Rugby in Brisbane, there's a difference in Oh, <laughs> uh, Quaidy. Yeah, he's a good man. Now, we, um, we'll we we'll get straight into um, rugby, all right? You guys have uh, found a bit of momentum this year, but there is something that's that's happening right now which uh, people can't really understand is, is Quaid, who we just mentioned, is just playing park footy. Do you think this is all... A part of a plan, or do you think this is a bit of a, a bit of a mix-up uh, between Super Rugby and and the Wallabies?
2: I'm not sure. I don't really know the ins and outs of it. Yeah, you know, I, I guess he was told by his Super Rugby coach that he was no longer wanted, mm-hmm. and they still have to honour his contract. And he's chosen rather than you know going overseas or moving elsewhere to to play in the local club rugby comp. So mm-hmm. great for Brisbane club rugby. <laughs> uh, yeah, for the Reds, they're obviously still paying him. So. Um, I'm sure they'd be be trying to, trying to move them on, but it, yeah, I guess it's up to the player.
0: Never seen someone playing first grade <laughs> in Premier Premier Cup on that kind of money. That's uh, that's that's uh, it's brilliant to see. But how are you feeling about the team right now? Are you finding your feet? And do you, and do you feel like the team's got a bit of momentum? I'm I'm enjoying being back. Yeah, is it's amazing how much changes in a year
2: in rugby. Mm-hmm. Uh, so many new faces, a lot of young talent coming through. So, yeah, I think the Irish series in June was... We took some steps. We were pretty disappointed to fall short um, and not win it. But they're a really good team. So I guess the challenge now is to to move on to to the Bledisloe Cup and and the challenges that that poses and and obviously the Rugby Championship.
1: So how's the training going for the Bledisloe? I mean, there's been lots of people coming and going uh, since the end of the Irish series. How important is it to uh to especially uh as we used to see with the wallabies, you know, like uh twenty years ago how they picked a team and they just uh, tended to stick with it. Like you had a, a very core sort of leadership group. How's that been uh in the lead up to the Blederslow? Like have you been working to to really get the team tighter? Yeah, it's
2: it's always a bit strange this time of year because you know, some super rugby teams are still in finals. Yeah. So it's basically everyone who isn't playing finals they get them together and pretty much flog them Monday to Friday send them home for the weekends uh until everyone's back from super rugby so it's been good there even some some new faces you know guys have done well uh for during super rugby and i guess that's that's the hard thing as a coach is is you've got to be picking your best players at at now but also planning for you know next year and and, and the years after when a lot of your senior players may uh, either move on, retire, or injury. I mean, injuries a, a huge part of the game these days.
1: Yeah, because you've got the captain now, Hooper is. Uh, he's he's twenty six, and he's kind of in the middle. Like he would be a, a middle aged kind of wallaby now, wouldn't he? He'd be. Yeah, like Hoops backs. Hoops
2: would be one of the more experienced now. He's uh, yeah, he's, got, he's incredibly durable. He's played so many. T- I don't think he's missed uh, he's missed got too many
0: eighty odd caps. He's got now. I think. Yeah. Yeah, he's been a real stayer. Uh, now. David, you've had a pretty conventional path for a footballer. You came from playing pretty high level. Did you play schoolboys? You played Aussie schoolboys. Yeah, I played play schoolboys. And then boys. you went. You went, and you know, Western Force at eighteen. I mean, a lot of the big names that we've seen over the years have kind of gone that way, um, and a lot of those guys have actually, at, at some point, gone off the rails or, or gotten into trouble or, or had to, you know, jet town and play somewhere else or have just decided to play somewhere else. What kind of kept you on track? Playing footy in Australia, other than the sabbatical we just mentioned over there and in, uh, in Zimbabwe, uh, what do you think you you put it down to? It. I think I've been really lucky with the support that I've had from from family.
2: Obviously moved uh, to Perth away from family, but um, you know I've got two younger brothers and that they, they always tend to keep me pretty grounded, um, humble uh, you. Yeah, yeah. Make sure I don't get ahead of myself and. I think the the key for me was, has actually been making friends outside of footy. Yeah. You know, it's something that I I love doing. Uh, it's been a huge part of my life, but I know in the grand scheme of things, it's it's probably not that important. And uh, there's plenty more to life than than chasing a ball around. So, um, you know, you can you can give it everything while you're there, but to have friends outside of rugby who probably aren't that interested in it, yeah. um, and it probably helps that my partner knew literally nothing about yeah. footy when I met her.
0: Yeah, now I remember, remember. Remember hearing that, and in fact, she almost uh, applied a bit of a stigma to you as just a meathead footy player. And when you when you when you first met, I remember seeing in the in the stories, she uh, you you had to prove to yourself. I was this- definitely in that category. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you had to prove you had to prove to her that you were um, you know, you know, open-minded kind of guy. You're into gardening and stuff.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's I guess there's there's stereotypes, and there's probably stereotypes for a reason. Yeah, uh, yeah not yeah. all guys are like that, but. Um, there's definitely something to it.
1: Dude, has, she, has she caught up a little bit? Yeah, like say, for example, would she be able to tell the difference between you and Richie McCaw, how you tend to come in from the back, of the, the <laughs> ruck, and Richie tends to come in from the side? <laughs> like she could probably tell you a bit about the breakdown, Yeah, you know, coming in through the
2: gate and yeah, 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 yeah staying yeah. on your feet and all that kind of stuff. Truck and trailer. <laughs> yeah.
0: Now... Um- You've had a different kind of um, series of kind of scandals in your career, I guess, as well. None of that late night shit that you know would um, would warrant you um, jetting off to Japan or, or South of France or rugby league. Um, but you have had you have had scandals. Um, some of them uh, quite recently, uh, I guess. You know, scandals are a word the media would use. The mainstream, uh, you know, rotten Murdoch types would say that. We would say uh, incidents. Uh tell us a little bit about the time you um handcuffed yourself to a digger in um Liverpool Plains, was it? Yeah. Down there in... Yeah, Lad State Forest. Yeah. Yeah, tell us can you just tell us how you got into that um issue? You kinda of, how you first that, that first kind of uh sparked your attention and um yeah. what, what led you to being arrested that night?
1: How come you were there and not a local boy like Sam Carter? How come he wasn't there? <laughs> Handcuffing himself to a big bulldozer down there on the Liverpool Plains. He <laughs> must be pro coal. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: I, I grew up on a farm, so I guess that's a bit, a big part of uh, my history. And, and moving to Australia and learning more about uh, climate change and, and what a lot of the scientists are predicting, mm-hmm. and you know that's obviously going to affect farmers uh, potentially more than your inner city. Uh, residents. Yeah. Um, they're totally dependent on, on, on the climate. I guess I thought it, thought it was a really important issue and had been part of, you know, you go, you go to your protests and you sign petitions and you do all the rest, but um, politicians haven't seemed that keen to actually show some leadership and do something about it. Mm-hmm. And I had a few mates who were involved in the lead blockade. So basically, planning a coal mine in the middle of a state forest. These are some of those mates that you said you made outside of sport. <laughs> yeah, one or two of them. Yeah, yeah good fellows, really good fellows. And I guess it's it's yeah, it's a coal mine, you know, in a farming area. Uh, there were some really questionable things around the approvals process, uh, as, as seems to happen, and a whole bunch of people from Canberra went up for a weekend to so- show support. And um, I, hadn't really, I hadn't really planned on you know getting arrested and, and doing something like that. And met Rick Laird, who's a fifth generation farmer, uh, got chatting. And I guess for me, I could see if my dad was an Aussie farmer, it'd probably be pretty similar, mm-hmm. you know. Um, head of the local f- you know rural fire service, and just just a real good fella. Mm-hmm. And seeing the impact that it was going to have on his family. His land, his community, and as Aussies, you know, farming seems to have this uh, real place in our sort of mythology.
0: Nostalgia, as well, yeah.
2: But we don't we don't give him much. Like we don't really stand up for him. Mm. And got to the point where we were chatting, and, and he'd, he'd never been arrested for fear of, you know, he's he's an upstanding citizen. Mm-hmm. Um, and we both kind of said, "Well, if, if if you're willing to, you know, I will." And so mm-hmm. we. Yeah, left at midnight and walked through the state forest and got onto got onto the mine site. Climbed up a, a super digger and locked on for the locked on for the day. And I, I guess for me, uh, you know, the, the mine the mine went ahead. We mm-hmm. we didn't stop it, but I think it raised some awareness mm-hmm. um, of the plight of people like Rick, who are going to be one affected by the mine being four ks from his kid's school, affecting the water table potentially. Uh, but then also the long-term implications of us continuing to build coal mines yep. against the advice of people who've been studying this stuff all their lives.
0: So, can you tell us about the the movements after that? And you probably you know you, you're still you're still very much um, involved with. Um the club and, and and the Wallabies, so you know you don't have to say too much. But were you in trouble, or was it kind of they, they put that down similar with Israel in the last few months, so yeah. it was kind of like, How this the, is what uh, he feels, this is what we're going to allow him to How
1: did the coach take it? Because uh, I'd, I'd, I'd be interested to see what uh, old Checker had to say about that, you know, when he got the phone call in the morning. I don't, I don't think
2: he was too fast. No? Uh, I, I copped it. I, I got a actually had a warning letter. In my email before I'd been <laughs> processed at the police station, which was interesting. <laughs> um, so yeah, they 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 weren't happy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess the usual bringing the game into disrepute that was the that was the line. And yeah, I think it yeah you know, it's something that I feel is is really important. And and you know. Um you guys are a bit older but my generation and future generations are going to cop you know mm-hmm. um a changing climate and, and you know i think more and more people are going to need to stand up and say we do want a leadership on this issue we do want things to change we do want a livable planet in the future
0: now uh we, we, did, we just touched on easy then israel law has been popping off um throughout the year with um, and and we you know actually David you've you made a point early on before before gay marriage was even um, legalised uh, marriage equality had come into play in the laws of the land you hadn't um, gotten married until that point we actually wrote about it you know you kind of I'm still looking for like a Zimbabwean fair trade ethical. Locally sourced... Uh, Wedding planner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you, you actually, the pressure's on now. You've got to get properly married. No more now excuses. That, now, that, now that everyone can. But, uh, and, and you know, so that was, a, that was something that you'd spoken out about before. And, and since the actual uh, plebiscite and the subsequent changes in the law, now a teammate of yours is um, saying the opposite. Can you tell us a little bit about the dynamic? You guys can actually leave that and play football um, and work alongside each other because that, that is impressive. If if that's the case,
2: yeah. I mean, I, I strongly disagree with with his his views on it, and feel like what he said is really um, hurtful to to a lot of people in our community. I guess it's 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 hard to hate people up close, and and when you when you actually spend time with people, you um, you don't have to agree on things, but you can. I guess you've got, you've got a lot more in common than you have. Uh, Differences, and and you've got to acknowledge that humanity, and and hopefully, um, be able to have civil conversations about things that don't just turn into mudslinging and and um, you know the the polarizing, ugly debate that we seem to have on a lot of issues that are really important for our community to have. And you know, I I uh, grew up in a sort of conservative religious um, community and 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 uh, and family, so I. Yeah, can understand wh- where he's coming from on this. Um, doesn't mean I agree, but I've probably had teammates who really disagree with me on um, environmental activism,
0: single and then, single-use plastic bags, etc. Yeah,
2: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> a whole range of issues. So there's, uh, it's a pretty diverse group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think as as long as you can keep talking about these sorts of things, mm-hmm. you leave space to hopefully actually debate things and move forward a little bit. Whereas I think as soon as you just take your position and and, uh, and are unwilling to even engage with people who aren't in your tribe, uh, we definitely lose something. And uh, you know I think it, it really
1: stagnates the debate and where we, we potentially could get to. Yeah. Do you think it's a bit of a distraction, though, when the media tends to focus on, on things like this? You know, they're asking these guys who have to follow... A ball around for eighty minutes about these, you know, these very vast and complex issues, when they should be asking them how there are, uh, how they're going to get the big earn back from the Kiwis, or how we're going to get the little one back from the Kiwis as well next year <laughs> in Japan, <laughs> as opposed to you know asking Izzy what he thinks of uh, of the Bible and the and gay marriage. How much do these things distract the team, or like, do they even distract the team at all?
2: Yeah, well, I think it can be an issue in young guys or you know, anyone's having to ask answer questions you know around theology and eschatology and all these sorts of things <laughs> because of someone else's point of view i think guys generally deal with it fairly well mm. it's uh, it's an interesting
0: one it is an interesting one because there's a lot of people that would say things like why the hell do we care about israel fela's opinion on where gay people are headed when they die but then again, also there's a lot of people that are interested in your opinion, and you probably get asked your opinion on everything, um, on on every kind of political issue, because you've proven yourself as someone who's uh, kind of you know you you look into things and you, you join different movements. What else is um uh, What else has been going on over there in uh, that you were doing over there? That wasn't necessarily political, but you were starting up a, a not for profit yeah. program in eighty in- twenty vision.
2: Yeah, so I'd been involved with that uh, since two thousand eight I think eight or nine mm-hmm. and we handed over to a bigger NGO last year mm-hmm. um, yeah the fundraising side of things is a bit of a hamster wheel yep. and we had a bigger NGO who, who liked the project wanted to scale it up so we were very happy to, to hand it on yeah try, trying to get into a slightly different approach working with a sort of value chain approach where you're actually trying to connect rural farmers to markets I guess so much of the aid stuff that we, that you see in Australia is sort of verging on kind of aid porn where you where you're trying to paint these people as these helpless mm. uh who they desperately need your help mm. but the reality is that a lot of these people are far more resourceful and resilient than than you and I mm-hmm. and if you can simply allow them access to a good market which they often get excluded from cuz they're they're rural and they they don't have the the comms and, and i mean all that stuff's improving with uh, with mobile technology but if you can provide them access to markets they then actually spend that money on health education um food and water security all these things that billions have been spent on for decades um so i think it's it's a real emerging area and there's some people doing some really good work in that area um so we're doing doing a, a small thing there it's um
0: yeah, not not much at all. But it's uh,
2: it's been interesting to learn. How do you fit it
0: all in? You like you know you're, obviously you obviously took a year there to, to to do what you were doing, but you charity work, um, playing for two teams. At, you know you're playing rep and playing you know super football. Do you are you flat chat? Not to mention your incredible garden that we've seen photos. Mate, of. It is looking dreadful at the moment. Right. <laughs> I've really let it go <laughs>
2: since getting back. I think I've grown maybe three or four tomato plants. That's it. So. Costa, Costa would be disappointed. he would be shattered. <laughs> How you, great hens man, Lange. Costa? The hens are laying. Actually, they uh, they had a bit of a rough winter, but now that the days are getting longer, they yeah, five eggs every every day. Right. So
0: that's um, you know, that's doing all right. At least. Yeah. What what's your diet like? Do you are you on the kangaroo meat? Are you are you on the egg whites? What's going on? Because you're looking pretty jacked right now. <laughs>
2: Um, oh, yeah. the biltong! Yeah, biltong, Barbell <laughs> yeah. biltong. I'm gonna
0: crack it open. Actually, medium flavor.
2: It's the good stuff. <laughs> um, I've actually played around with my diet a fair bit over the last yeah. few years. I in you had paleo for a while. Twenty. Though? <laughs> <laughs> or the Atkins uh, yeah.
0: diet. No activated FODMAP. almonds, but uh... <laughs> <FODMAP>. mm. <laughs> yeah. What is this FODMAP thing? This is good. Oh, oh it's a. It's like a. It's a really hard.
2: Fermentation, okay. yep. something, something. Okay. Mm. Well, yeah, I, just, 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 just playing around. I guess I coming through uh, rugby academies and stuff. You would it was drilled into, you know, like low fat, low fat is good, low fat is good, um, high carbs, all that kind of stuff. And then I had two um, ACL injuries in a row, and after the second one, um, I was just looking at ways to, I don't know experiment with diets see what, yep. see what see what helped um, with inflammation and gone on to some of the stuff that Tim Noakes is doing in South Africa and so I've been experimenting with some some high fat low carb stuff right um which has been really interesting
0: yeah yeah fodmaps an interesting one now it's the um yeah it's, it's fermentation fr- fructose and i don't know it's obs- like it just things you wouldn't uh you wouldn't think are related are related now. okay Yep. I think it's more like... Just like the root. royal
2: families in Europe.
0: I guess, you know.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I guess it's an area where we've been so locked into this food pyramid thing mm-hmm. for so long. And Had milk,
0: like, checking from the top for, for a while. Dairy, yeah. Yogurt. <laughs> yeah.
2: That was all based on, you know, one study that they did that linked saturated fat to heart disease. Yeah. And a lot of that's being undone through mm-hmm. the research. And even that research is being proven to be fairly uh, not dodgy, but I guess selective in the data points that they they chose. So yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting uh, area, and I don't know something that's pretty I enjoy just mucking around with and and
0: seeing what works for me. Or well, as much produce as you can make yourself, as well. I guess. You yeah, know, that's that's
2: definitely joy. and I think that's. Um, you know, living living in town, uh having having a garden allowed me a bit of headspace, like yeah. it was a bit of time away, particularly uh when I was injured. Just getting away from it. Yeah, yeah. How do you feel about the nickname Woecock? <laughs> Wokock. <laughs> <laughs> um I don't know, it reminds me a bit, yeah, Morning Glory kind yeah, of. Yeah, right, okay. So, yeah. yeah,
0: well, all right. Um well it's an interesting um, one. I'm, yeah, it's probably been thrown around in your younger days, but nowadays it has a different meaning, more to your um open mindedness and um yeah. and in, in, in fact- Oh, as in like woke. Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> I'm not down with the with the lingo. The batuta lingo. Yeah, you know, as an intersectional feminist, environmentalist <laughs> wallaby captain. Um you know, it's a first. Um
1: yeah, the one thing I'd like to ask you now is about it's about your time in Japan. Uh, you moved over there after a bit of a break. What was it like to get back into rugby in 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 a place where you'd never played rugby before? As you know, like on the whole, it was such a rude shock. Yeah. Oh man, that
2: I'd, I'd done some training, um, obviously, trying to get back into it, but those first few team sessions fitness sessions yeah i was just thinking what 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 am i doing like this is insane and i'm so grateful that i actually came back through japan rather than coming straight into australia because yeah the the level is is definitely a notch up in terms of volume and and um intensity for super rugby but was, was that a really good team in a you know, in Japan, they call it, it was in Ota, Gunma. Gunma is the, the least visited prefecture yeah. in Japan. Is that so not up a lot top of top or the bottom? Uh, it's about two hours, I think, north of Tokyo. Some good and gardens. They, good gardens out that way. Amazing. Mm-hmm. But I mean, they, they call it rural, but it's, it's honestly just industrial sprawl. Really? You know, Panasonic factory, Subaru factory, all these other factories. It was really interesting, sort of living in kind of working class Japan. Playing playing rugby for a, for a good team, which which certainly helped that my, you know the load on me was was not that high. I uh, probably missed every I don't know third or fourth game, just got rested. So right. really enjoyable
0: way to get back into it. And what's the um goad like now for um you know expats playing rugby in Japan? Uh, are you given an interpreter or is interpreters around or like can you speak Japanese? how did, how did that all go down? Most, I think, almost
2: all teams would have an interpreter, right? Yeah, and yeah, I guess you learn the basics. The interpreter is not there on the field, so that's when it gets interesting. But mate, it's footy; like you can, you can usually tell what someone's (laughs) what someone's getting at in a huddle or, you know, gesturing or, Mm -hmm. yeah, it it was it was a really cool experience.
0: What uh, one question I want to ask is the the culture of rugby in Australia is changing right now, and there's. Um, it's obviously going through, um, a, you know, a new revamp. Uh, there's there's a lot of things happening. There's Twiggy Forest doing all this shit over there, um, and there's you know there's there's there's, there's in there's, Perth, man There's momentum, yeah, over there. Can you tell us about a, a rugby culture that you've seen that you just think is uh, like like in terms of uh, a, a nation? Um, that's not New Zealand. That's not New Zealand. That is is Japan like that? Is do they just impress you with their? Uh, um, their
1: love of the game their love
0: of the game or is there other ones that surprise you like you know Argentina, Argentina. yeah
2: I think the World Cup in Japan will be amazing That they, yeah, they yeah. know how to put an event on mm. and there's a massive population so and, I mean they, they'll get it
0: done in yeah, time like yeah. it's just Japan right they'll,
2: and, yeah. and they'll turn up to support uh, seem to get really fanatical about supporting teams so I think that'll be really cool in terms of places that surprise you uh, Playing in South America, just the, the passion mm. is uh, is always amazing, uh, or even actually playing in Italy. The the national yeah. anthem's there. Yeah, it seems to go for about ten minutes, and it's just <laughs> I don't know what they're saying, but yeah. it it's uh, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah,
0: right. So yeah, you find that um, Perth has that Perth has Perth is staunch, um, and which which kind of was a, su- a surprise. The fan base at the Western Force uh, coming out in numbers. Uh, and that, so it was a shock to see what happened to that team. And obviously that came from the top. What do you remember about being part of that infantile Western Force setup when you when you went over there?
2: Yeah, I loved the opportunity. I loved mm-hmm. my time in Perth. I ended up spending seven seven years there. Right. Yeah, as a straight from school into sort of a, a new new club, they were. I guess you're trying to establish culture and, and get a bunch of guys who've never played together. Um, and a coaching staff who've never coached together, heading in the same direction. We had one win in our first year, which was pretty epic. <laughs> um, but yeah, the the support from the the community there was mm-hmm. big. There's there's a lot of uh, South Africans <laughs> and say, uh, you, you a, lot like a, yeah, a lot of Kiwis. Yeah, a lot so um, the local club comp. Yeah, uh, it's definitely it's, getting stronger.
1: Mm. Heaps of poms there too, in there. Yeah,
0: there. a lot of people picking for Perth.
1: I'm interested to hear, um, as an experienced side sort of member of the squad, uh, what the, the word is at street level about this comp that Twiggy Forest is is trying to get up and running over there and in uh, South Africa and, and and parts of Europe. You know, how is that being received by you guys? I have to be
2: honest and say I don't know much about it at all. Yeah, you know, I think that this this whole thing has really galvanised mm-hmm. the supporters of the western force and yeah. they're getting great crowds yeah. to their game they seem to have recruited a, a fairly decent team and, and will be going for the next couple of years and then i don't know when the super rugby i think the rights agreements or the the, the broadcasting thing comes up after 20 after next year maybe mm. 2020 so then i guess it's yeah negotiating and and uh, who knows that i uh there's other people who know, know a lot more about that than me a
0: bit like the XFL Twiggy Twiggy's a bit like Vince McMahon starting up his own uh, his own <laughs> XFL
1: <laughs> well um,
0: there's been more developments too
1: in uh, in rugby union that we've certainly read down there in in Sydney where you've got a bloke who's come along and he's bought the television rights to the shoot shield down there and they're uh, trying to get that on as much free to air television as possible I think from what we've heard in the media that there's been a bit of a disconnect now from what rugby was uh, 20 years ago when, you know, the uh, Eels' heyday, you know, we had old Bill and and everything was was fine and dandy. Do you think that um, moving forward more of these super rugby games need to be made available on free-to-air television so it kind of enhances the exposure that the sport has? Because it's hard... To compete, really, I mean, there's lots of different codes, and I suppose that as long as it's not an optus sport. <laughs> been running in... the MBN's coming,
0: mate, Dory. Yeah, worry. yeah, <laughs> yeah free to wear has got to help, yeah, um, I- and it was free to wear for, for most Australians growing up um, until until recently. Um, you would have got the Channel Seven or the Channel Ten kind of match.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, growing up, I we never had Foxtel, so yeah. we'd we'd watch mm. Wallaby games on. On free to air, mm. and I do think it's important to to, to grow the game to have ha, have it on there. Uh, those decisions, yeah, yeah. W- way above me.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to see though that the uh, that the rights to, to broadcast the the World Cup next year haven't been snapped up yet. So I'd be interested to see where they end up. Mm. Batuta Broadcasting, Batuta Broadcasting. You guys yeah. could probably... we could
0: do it. Yeah, we'll. Um... Move into a telco company first, yeah. and then we'll uh, then yeah. we'll stream everyone at the same time. Probably contracts. Like, uh, Roy and HG to yeah, yeah. They could, do they a couple could, of games. He used to do Origin quite well. Yeah, but you know we'd need to um, we'd need to talk to Alan Liu about how yeah. he did it, and then mm-hmm. just see if we could get um, you know the right kind of software in place just to make sure it crashed. Right <laughs> the most important part. Now, yeah. how does it feel to have become a gay icon almost overnight, like Convicts? was that the footy team down the, down Sydney the, the gay one yeah like I think some of right. your comments some of your comments early on um, about marriage equality and and obviously calling out um, uh, the homophobia on field kind of um, brought you to a lot of people's attention brought a lot of people um, uh, created a lot of new supporters for um, the Wallabies and, and any team you are playing on I guess uh, how does it feel to have become a gay icon do you get invited to like Mardi Gras and stuff now yeah <laughs> Well, living in Canberra, I still haven't uh, got to
2: Mardi Gras. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think making sport more inclusive is important. Mm-hmm. And as a, an immigrant who moved to Australia in my awkward kind of high school grade nine years, mm-hmm. sport was definitely the place where I felt like I was part of something, mm-hmm. and was just you know someone on the team, and there wasn't that. That sort of barrier of, of not feeling like you belonged or, or fitted in. And then comparing my experiences as a white Zimbabwean who moved here mm-hmm. to uh, a mate who's a black Zimbabwean, he had a very different experience of that because he was black. Yep. And then obviously you throw a different uh, sexual orientation. It's, it's, you know, you're also being discriminated against because of who you are yeah. and I think sport is at its best when it's actually challenging society to be more inclusive mm-hmm. and you know if you want a more inclusive society if you think that's a good thing then I think we need to be doing that at home and in our workplaces and I guess for me that's that's rugby so yeah, yeah it's it's led to some great conversations some difficult conversations and I think it's something that the tide has turned on mm-hmm. and a lot of it is now down to education because you know most people when you can actually see how your language affects other people negatively uh, you want to change it you mm-hmm. you you want people to feel like they can be themselves and yeah it's something that that's that's been important to me that the the incident in the game actually that that um did rock me a little bit because there were a whole bunch of guys in the team. We talked about it as a team saying like we want to try and create an environment where people feel like they can be themselves and we talked about homophobia. And so when that happened in the game, there were a bunch of players who went to the ref and said, listen, we're not happy with these homophobic slurs and some people in the media made it out as if I was kind of driving my agenda through it through yeah. using, using the game or, or You are the only one who said it. No, not the only one who said it. Yeah, right. So after that,
0: it's... has <laughs> got you on the video ref too. Yeah, so it, yeah, yeah. There's suppose.
2: evidence.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose it is the onus, so of every editor of every newspaper around the world is to get the most clicks <laughs> these days. And I'm afraid that we're no different from time to time, I suppose. Better clickbait. Uh, mm. So uh, a couple of weeks ago, you played... You play the Tars, I believe, down there in Sydney. But after the World Cup, you're heading back to Japan. That's right, to uh, complete your contract. Yeah, I'm going to head over there 2020. You reckon you'll stay odd? You reckon you'll make your way back to the Brumbies after that? Oh, mate, it feels, like, a long way it there, feels man. like
2: such a such a long way off. Um, yeah, get, getting on, so who, yeah. who, who knows? We'll We're uh, get a season if, out of you uh, the Cowboys
0: wait. or something. something? Something crazy like that? Go going to play Rabbit O's. <laughs>
2: I don't know, we'll, we'll, we'll see, I, I, I don't think so, um, but we'll, we'll wait and see. You could be like the next
0: Brad Thorne, you know. <laughs> now, we're just finishing up here, you've got a lot going on. You're an activist, footballer, gay icon, um, <laughs> philanthropist, I guess, of sorts, a charity operator. Tell us a bit about this stuff, is this you? No, so this is a couple of mates
2: in Canberra. Barbell Biltong, Barbell Biltong. Yeah, so they they've started this up and it's I reckon it's the best built on I've had in Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, doing it really well. And they have just teamed up with uh, the Savory Institute and a thing called Lanta Markets. So trying to actually allow consumers to buy product that is being farmed in a regenerative way. Mm-hmm. Uh, like on the drive out here, like some of the some of the land is pretty Degraded, mm. and you know, there's a lot of erosion. And you know, I think in yeah. Australia, we've got some world leaders in regenerative
0: agriculture. They put a chain between tractors, a bit of a Sir Joe style land clearing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, we won't get into that. Still a little bit um, of an anchor chain in between
1: two sort of D6s, never. <laughs> as uh, I think that that type of farming's opened up a lot of country for, uh, for organic beef, as they would say. Uh, um, down there in the cosmopolitan southeast, they would say that. Yeah. yeah. So,
2: yeah, they, they're doing some, some really good things. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think more and more consumers want products that are grown in a way that one is giving the animal the best possible life. But is also grown in a way that's, that's not detrimental to the environment. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think in Australia we have some world leaders in regenerative agriculture, yeah. Um, Charles Massey, Colin Sice, a whole bunch of people, and I mean, I, d- I didn't realise, but uh, Aboriginal people have been farming for tens of thousands of years. Mm-hmm. You know, it's probably one of the, the the oldest farming cultures in the world. Yeah. So we've got
1: plenty that we can can learn from, and and um, yeah, boys in gold are playing the All Blacks down in Sydney, out at Parramatta, Homebush. Um, your super rugby season's over. Um, so you've just been hit, just you've just been hitting the rack on team runs. You no, know, just getting bigger, getting faster, getting stronger. Hitting the weights rack, yeah. 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 yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I'm glad
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 uh yeah, I guess it's a bit of a pre season type vibe where you you're not playing but you you you're trying to keep fit and it's a huge challenge for us yeah they're obviously number one team in the world have mm-hmm. been for a long time yeah. and uh it's it's an exciting challenge you want to be playing against the best and yeah. testing yourself so yeah a, f- a couple of weeks uh, to prepare once
0: the the tars are, are back with us and mm-hmm. we'll see how we go well we wish you all the best um we're loving having you back uh yeah a bit of momentum behind the guys let's see if you can um bring it on Thanks for having me. Yeah, mate. Cheers, we... guys. See you, mate. Now, get get back to training. Yeah, back, what are you yeah. doing in, in Western <laughs> Queensland?
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, and that was David Pocock. He's just about to show down against the uh, old foe from across the Dutch. They're playing the All Blacks in Sydney on the 18th of August. So... Get on down there if you live in the Harbour Capital. Put on your your, your Wallabies scarf, your RM Williams boots. Be sure not to
0: polish them too, because that gives you extra street cred. I've heard down there. Yes, and if we're lucky, uh, or if he's lucky, David could be captain in the near future, providing uh, you know the Australian Rugby Union commentators, mostly three cap world beaters uh, that work for the Sydney Morning Herald, uh, unless they have something to say about it, which I'm sure they will. Living in the glory days there, and I'm not specifically talking about you, Greg Martin, but I, I actually am. Well, they just that uh, they, uh,
1: well, they just signed Hoops uh, to another big deal. Uh, I think it's five years in it, a couple of tens of millions of dollars. So I, th- I think if David wants that captaincy back,
0: he'll have to fight Hoops to the death. Something I'm sure he's capable of, um, as, as we learned today. He's a, he's a man of uh, great strength and a man of um, great willpower. That's it for this week. I'm Clancy Overall. You be kind to each other. And my name is
1: Errol Parker. Don't talk to the police unless you've got legal counsel present.